0: of your bibles open up to hebrews chapter 12 we are boy we're so close to the end right so close so close we're not going to finish today (laughs) because so close and yet so far (laughs) yeah hebrews chapter 12 how many guys been enjoying this this book Amen. amen I hear the amen. I see your hand back there, sir. <laughs> Hebrews twelve. Well, I am sort of torn because I was so I was looking at let me read the paragraph we're gonna look at. But we're gonna be we're gonna look at a lot of stuff today, or at least I'm gonna try to cover a lot. Hebrews twelve and verse eighteen to twenty-four is our main objective here. <laughs> Hebrews twelve, eighteen. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was being commanded. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned." And so terrible was what appeared that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels, to the festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than Abel. Now I'm going to stop there, but here's what the writer's doing. I just want to give you a summary, and maybe I'll go through the entire book to get us to this point, because there's a lot going on. The entire Book of Hebrews is written to persuade those who are Christian, who are followers of Jesus, those who in this context was a house church maybe the size of ours, maybe smaller, and they were thinking of turning away. And the whole intent of the letter is to say that's not a good idea. <laughs> Jesus is your best option, Jesus is your only option, and to turn away would be very detrimental and what he's doing here he's actually bringing up his last thrust of that the paragraph we just read he's actually contrasting two mountains mount Sinai which is significant with the law in the old testament and mount Zion okay two ways to come to god by law or by grace by your own attempts at good works to draw near to god or by christ those are your options. And what he's doing here, he's telling them, here's what if if you turn away from Christ and go back to Mount Sinai, here's what the experience is. Wait, is Mount Sinai over here? It is over here, right? Okay, you guys are Old Testament, New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep it straight. But if you turn away, and this is what he's gonna talk about in verse 25 through 29. The last warning, the entire book is just describing Christ as better than any other option. Now I'm tempted to go through the entire book just to get to the Can I do that? Okay, yes we can. We're going to go along today. Just listen to, just by way of reminder, because if you were the listener of this letter, you would have heard it in one st- sitting. They wouldn't have broken out by 18,000 weeks like we're doing. They would have heard it one sitting. Okay. I'm not going to read the entire letter. That would not be fair to you. <laughs> but in Hebrews 1, we heard that Jesus is the revelation. He's the final revelation of God, right? He is the one who has accomplished cleansing for our sin. Jesus is the one who is superior than the angels. So the Old Testament law came through angels. God gave it to angels, angels told it to the people, right? Mediation of angels. But the new covenant comes through Christ. And Christ is better than the angels. He's actually worshipped by the angels. And Jesus is God on the throne. He is seated right now at the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus Christ. And he is anointed with joy, rejoicing and gladness. By the way, Sinai is a place of gloom. Zion is a place of rejoicing. We'll get to that in a little bit. In chapter 2, we see that there was a warning. Having known all this, then don't neglect such a great salvation. Pay attention to what you've heard. If the Old Testament uh, believers who turned away had some punishment, how much more those who hear about Christ who turn away? Jesus, in chapter 2, is crowned with glory and honor. He experienced death for all, and He has all things under control. He is our leader, a pioneer of our faith, and he was made perfect through the things which he suffered. And he makes us holy as well. Jesus is proud to call us brothers and sisters. He shares in our humanity, amen? And through his death, he has destroyed the devil, who had the power of death. See, some people fear death, but death fears Jesus. Jesus. He is our merciful and faithful high priest who made atonement for the sins of of the people. And he understands what it's like to go through trials, temptations, difficulty. He knows what it's like for his family to reject him. They wanted to put him away. We're here for Jesus to lock him up because we think he's crazy. His own brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection, James and Jude. Jesus... He's faithful. He's more glorious than Moses. He's our high priest. And then he warns again, the writer of Hebrews warns not to turn away. Is this boring? No. Good. I'm not bored. I'm excited. I'm just getting warmed up here. Okay? We're going to have some fun today, okay? So then he warns in chapter 3, don't have an evil, unbelie- unbelieving heart. that would turn away from that God exhort one another by the way unbelief is not restful see you have your truth rest for your soul through christ when you don't have christ your soul is never at rest we say rest in peace for people who died if they're in christ they're resting at peace if they're not in christ they're not resting and they're not at peace and they were not at peace in life and they're not in peace in death we think all oh, everyone who dies is going to be all peace no Rest in peace is only for those who are leaders in Christ, who accept his invitation to salvation. In chapter 4, we see this, that Jesus provides spiritual rest for those who believe. The disobedient won't be at rest, but he gives rest that even Joshua couldn't bring. Joshua led the people of Israel physically to the promised land, but they were never at rest in the sense that Jesus gives rest. He understands like i said what it's like to be weak and tempted but he helps us so let's approach him to find grace in time of need he is our representative before god our high priest so we needed somebody to come before god to represent us to god and as jesus as a human being did that but as god in the flesh he represents god to us oh praise the lord amen Amen. You got people saying, I'm Jesus or I'm God. No, no, there's only one Jesus. There's only one God. Amen. And he offered himself as that person. He's both the priest and the sacrifice. Both. That's why we are to grow in maturity, because he is the only way of salvation. And to reject Christ is to reject God's only plan of salvation. That's Hebrews chapter 6. To reject Christ is is to reject God's only plan of salvation. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What's that? Remember the, the Passover seed or the cup of judgment that he drank? No other way. And by the way, if you think you can find out after you die if there's another way, you're dead wrong because to die with Christ. See, if I'm wrong, I haven't lost much in my life, Right? But if you're wrong, if you're banking on some money other than Christ, here's your option. Christ, non-Christ. Christ, Christ, myself. Christ, some other guy. And if you're wrong, you're eternally wrong. Damned forever. Forever, 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 and ever, and ever, ever, ever. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. We're not playing church today, are we? No, we're, t- we're talking about life. Because you know something? We'll get to this side in a second. We'll, this is, wait, is this Old Testament? Yeah. Okay, this side. <laughs> New Testament. I'll get this. Okay, the good news. But I'm going to remind her, okay? But we are to grow in maturity and keep faithful and don't give up, but don't turn away from God's only offer of salvation. And yet, we learn from the Old Testament saints like Abraham, who persevered in the, in the sense that, that he kept going in faith. God of course, kept his promise. Jesus Christ is the anchor for our soul if you place your faith in him. He is your anchor. Other than that, you're wandering in, in the seas of life. Jesus Christ is like a guy named Melchizedek in chapter 7. Melchizedek, his very name means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which means he's the king of peace. Jerusalem was that area, but Salem means peace. Like Shalom, Shalom. You say shalom to somebody, that means be at peace, be at wholeness, right? Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace. He's both. Because when he comes and establishes righteousness or achieves righteousness for us, we are now at peace with God, amen? The law was weak and useless and can't make anyone perfect. We're going to see that. You poor souls there at Sinai, you're going to find that out. But Christ did what no one can do. He gives us a better hope so that we can draw near to God. He gives us access to God through his sacrifice. His, in chapter eight, his work of atonement is finished and complete. That means he did it one time and he sat down. The Old Testament, they had sacrifices day after day, after year after year, day after day, year after year. Jesus comes, he does it one time and it's done. The veil is torn. That means the access to God is allowed. No more restrictions. Now there's complete access to God. And his, his work as a priest now is one of mediator, one of praying for us, one of interceding for us. But you don't have to punish yourself for your sin if you are with Christ. If you're without Christ, then your punishment has only begun. Jesus Christ purchases eternal salvation and redemption by his blood. He frees us and cleanses us and forgives us. And now he is before God in heaven for us. And his sacrifice was sufficient. We learned that last week because the resurrection is proof that God said, I accept that sacrifice because he raised Jesus from the dead. Chapter 10, we're getting close. This is all introduction. Chapter ten, we saw that the law is only a shadow of the things where Christ is reality. The law points to points to Christ, but it's a shadow. It doesn't have the substance that Christ has. The law can't change you, but Christ does change your hearts. That's why the New Testament, the New Covenant was, "I will write my laws in their hearts. I will change them from the inside. I'll give them a new heart." God says in both. In, uh, in Ezekiel and, and Isaiah. That's why in chapter 10, Christ makes believers holy. He sets us apart. And God remembers our sins no more. That's why the Hebrew writer says, we, because of all that, we now have confidence to come before God boldly into His presence. Into His very presence by the blood of Jesus. His blood cleanses our sins and our consciousness of sin it cleanses our hearts and our conscience. So let's hold on to the hope. Let's encourage one another to love and good work. And then he gives another warning: rejecting Christ is foolish. He says, like, "Good news, warning. Good news, warning. Good, because why? Because our heart is deceitfully wicked and evil, and always tends to want to wander, doesn't it? Okay." I was like, Lord, what? I'm preaching the same thing every single week. I'm preaching the gospel, and God's like, because people's hearts get hardened, and people's hearts get dis- are, are deceptive, and, we're, and, we wanna, and I want to hear the good news. Can you tell me the good news story again? I'm, I'm just going to do what I'm, I'm called to do is preach the gospel, right? Tell me the good news again, right? Because, you know, when you go to Mount Sinai, you're going to hear some bad news. You're like, I want to get to Mount, Mount Zion, but I got to tell you the first of the bad news, Okay? Look to Jesus. Then he says, look to those who, in chapter 11, who have gone before you. Be encouraged by those who are faithful, who persevered. Because this is not not the first race that's run. Many others have... That's why we have a community of believers that are necessary. If you're a lone ranger, you are, are in danger because you, can't, you need the encouragement of the saints. Amen? people to bless you and to love on you and to encourage you and to pray for you and to pray with you and to be with you to walk with you when you go through trials when you go through go through the difficulty you need somebody to come alongside and sometimes you just need a friend to say hey brother i'm just i'm here you need me i'm here you need a sister that says the same thing you know i don't understand like job i don't job if i if i was your friend job i lord willing i hope i wouldn't judge you but i would just sit there and just be quiet and say i have no idea why you're going through this That's why in chapter 12, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to, to, he who's the leader of our faith, the finisher of our faith, and to, to get rid of the things that distract us. This life is it. This time on this earth is it. It's like a vapor. And God says, I'm giving you the time to make one decision for Christ. One decision for Christ. And I'm going to tell you to go over, I'm going to send you reminders, people are going to call you, they're going to text you, you're going to turn on the radio and television, you're going to be some preacher, you're going to have, you're going to, because God's like, I am pursuing your soul because I love you. Don't be like the people in the Old Testament where they got hardened hearts and turned away from me and it wasn't good. That's what he's trying, the whole letter of Hebrews We need to hear this because we're just like the Hebrews, aren't we? But Jesus Christ is leading us on this long distance race, and God is training us through hardships. He's maturing us and teaching us, disciplining us, training us into holiness and righteousness and peace. And so don't give up. If you're weary, Come alongside those who you see are, are slowing down. Come alongside and grab and say, let's finish this together. Let's be the guy, like the guys who, they, the, they're marathon runners falling on his face and there's a finish line and some other guys from other countries come and they pick him up and they walk with him to the race. And say, Guy, we're going to do this together and finish. Let's do that is what he's saying. Because Jesus Christ has made all things right with, between man and God. Now do the same in your relationship. Seek peace and righteousness and humility and forgiveness. That's why when now he comes to verse 18, notice what he says here. First of all, he's going to talk about the first mountain, the mountain of the law, the mountain of Sinai. Your are Sinai, I'm sorry guys. In in reality, if you're a believer, you're 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 with Christ, okay. But here's what he's doing: he's reminding. By the way, okay, you realize like seventy percent of Hebrews is Old Testament. Okay, mo- much of the New Testament is Old Testament with Christ fulfilling. So it's not this clear we think Old Testament clear break New Testament. I'll oh, get rid of the old. No, no, it's all. It's like a it's like a tapestry. That's one story, right? That's that's put together. And we learn from the, le- from the lessons of the Old Testament. We learn from those who have. As Paul says we, we. They're examples to us. But there are two approaches to God. One, you approach with Moses. Look at look at Exodus 19. Go to Exodus 19, because this is what he's quoting. Exodus 19. The people have been led out of Egypt. Now they're in the desert, and they're meeting with God. In Exodus 19, this is a significant mean, meeting with God at Sinai, which is in Arabia. It is not where it's traditionally thought to be. I don't think it's gonna, I don't think it's where I think it's in a different area. But that's my own, because there's no evidence people actually were there. And you have like over a million people; they're going to leave stuff behind, right? But anyway, that's a whole other whole nother discussion. Yeah, no, whole other counterworms, right? Verse 3, chapter 19. verse Now Moses went up to God, and Yahweh, the Lord, called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, Then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's the emphasis of Sinai. The emphasis is we will accomplish and do the law. Good intentions, right? right? But you look at Israel's history, and they never kept the law. Read your Old Testament, they never kept the law. They constantly, turning away from God. Verse 9, let's keep reading, Exodus nineteen nine. Behold, uh, the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now this next verse is what... The Hebrew writer points to, one of the things he points to, You shall set bounds for all the people around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely stoned or surely shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Now go back to Hebrews. Two ways of, of approaching God. The first one, of course, is through the law, through the we will do of this, we will accomplish it. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, you notice how he says in verse 18, rather? Uh, Hebrews 12, 18. You guys back there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Look what he says in verse 18. You have not come to this mountain, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he says in verse. 22 but word of contrast you have come you see that okay here's what he's saying if you're a believer in christ and you stay with christ sinai is not your reality zion is this idea of coming to god drawing near to god is repeated throughout hebrews um and in, in there, we we draw near to God according to uh, Hebrews seven twenty five, who makes intercession for us. Uh, we draw near with a sincere heart, full of faith, according to Hebrews ten twenty two. Uh, we we come to get God in, uh, 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 by faith, uh, for without faith is impossible to please God. We co- for whoever comes to God must believe. So so far in Hebrews, there's been this journey of coming to God. Okay, you see this this journey of coming to God. But now he says he changes the tense of the Greek it to the perfect. I'm getting technical, but it's important. You have not come perfect tense, but you have come. What does that mean? Now you've arrived. Your reality with Christ you've already you're you're already with Christ in Zion. Now he's we'll talk about Zion in a second. No longer is this I want to grow closer to God positionally. No, this is I already am with Christ in the heavenly realm. Amen. This is an arrival, and the benefits of the arrival. Now, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Hold on. So he says, So he says, you have come, you have not come. You have not come, you've come. Now, what is Sinai? Of course, Sinai is a place where God meets the people, right? But you notice that God is distant, right? Have Moses set up boundaries. There is Mount Sinai. The mountain that can't be touched, the mountain that, where Sinai is a place of distance. See, if you try to follow the law and try to be good enough, you'll never go closer to God. You'll get more religious, but you won't grow closer to God. At Sinai, it's a place of restriction. God is restricted. Don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Lest, even if a beast touches this ground, he'll be killed. Sinai is a place that, that um, restricts access. God is distant. Um, you get the, look at the, I want to show you something, okay? Watch this. Look at verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, but to a blazing fire. What do you do with a fire? You can see it and you can feel it, right? right? And to darkness and gloom. That's like dark clouds. Think about the most ominous storm darkness that settles in that's something you see and you also kind of feel it right and the whirlwind and then there's a blast of a trumpet the trumpet announces god's coming and god's presence the lord is here and it gets louder and louder and then it finishes with this watch what it finishes the sounds of words whose words are those god almighty speaking at sinai you get all the senses are there and what you experience is the holiness of god Keep this in mind, Sinai is in the wilderness. The people in God, no distractions, it's the people before God. Now God is holy. You have this ominous presence that's there, right? Don't come any closer, lest you be killed. The people, clothed still in their slave clothes of Egypt, are before a holy God, and they get, only get so close, but they have to face God in this way. This is very important. There's a reason why there's an order to this. They are faced with a God who is purely holy. When we look at one another and we say, "Well, I'm more holy than her and him and all that." But you look before God. There's no no one else. No. There's no. There's no. Mm-mm, nope. No, take any of your take any of your imagination of the greatest being that ever is, and you fall way short to God. And before God, you and I stand in our sin before a holy God. Israel had experiences; they had to experience this. Yes, we'll do what you say, God. By the way, the next chapter is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Okay, here's my here's my here's the stipulations of our rela- our relationship, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, if you think you did all the commandments, let's get into your heart now. Mm, lustful thought, angry, angry attitude. Oh, you got me, right? And all of us have to stand here. All of us. There's a woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the text says, beginning with the oldest, <laughs> They dropped their stones. I'm the youngest. Because the oldest, they knew. Okay, it got me. And I don't know what Jesus was writing on the ground. The text doesn't tell us. I can surmise, maybe, perhaps. Because the last time I saw God writing stuff, it was the Ten Commandments. With his own finger, he wrote the commandments. But those commandments are solid. They're, they're ingrained. They're set. They're permanent. Jesus writes in the sand. It's not as permanent. I don't know if that's a grace thing or what it is. But the idea is that all of us have to be confronted before this holy God. There's fire. The text says that God is a consuming fire, doesn't it? He's a jealous God. You can feel that. This holiness that burns, the fire, the fire that burns against sin. It's the same idea when they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve can't go in. Why? Because there's an angel with a flaming sword that speaks of his holiness, right? And before you look at somebody else, look at Isaiah who in chapter 6 sees the sight of God and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. See, sometimes we get so distracted, we want to distract and say, Oh, you know, this politician or that, that, that Bible person or that. We get distracted. It's, no, it's you and God. Now, it's either going to be you and God by yourself, or, or it's going to be you and God with Jesus. But you're going to go before God by yourself, either at Sinai or at Zion. That's 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 it, and all this talk about what other people are doing and not doing doesn't really matter. I'm going to stand before God. All of us are going to stand before God, and we can't blame Genesis three. Oh, well, this it's her, his fault, her fault. I was I was abused. I was none of that matters. God can, now God's judged. He's just. He's righteous. He's good. He understands. Our, he understands. But the, still, the bottom line is, you before God. Sinai is a place of darkness and despair. Why? Because there's the wretchedness of our heart, where we realize when we are ruined before a holy God. It's a place of judgment. The gloom speaks of judgment. I don't like this God. Well, He's the same God, in New Testament. Because in, in Sinai or in, in Zion, you see God is still the Judge. He's the same God. The only difference is who is with you. At Sinai, God is revealed, yet in a way He's concealed. Right? You don't see, There's darkness that hides Him, but yet you still see this, 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 this display of His holiness and His righteousness. There's no one that compares with God Almighty. It's a place where the words of God, the commands of God, are, such, are so unbearable that the people beg, please, Moses, don't let us hear God's words. It's too unbearable. See, if you think you can stand and say, God, I can handle you your word on your own, you are, you're wrong. Moses himself, it says that Moses said he was terrified. Even Moses. Sinai is a place of fear before a holy God. This f- word for fear, it's, uh, it's, uh, it means to have intense fear of like desperation. It's used in, the, in, uh, Mark, in Mark 9 when, they were at, when Jesus transfigured himself. That means he kind of allowed his glory to show him forth. And Peter, James, and John are there and they're like, And the word says they were terrified. And they heard God's voice. They were terrified. At Sinai, there is distance and separation from God. There are demands. There is a realization of danger. There's darkness and gloom and despair. There is judgment. By the way, God is just to be a judge. God has every right to be a judge because of who he is. There's the law, there's God's majesty. God is, in our own sin, we cannot approach this holy God. And even if you try to work better, by the way, let's just think about this, okay? I'm going to go a little long today, but let me just think about this. How many years does the average person live? Let's say 70 years, okay? Let's say you sin on the average once a week, let's say once a week, okay? Yeah, I'm So chuckle. I'm I'm being gracious, right? (laughs) Once a week. Let's just say once a week. 52 uh, times 52 times 70 some odd years. Okay, you know, one sin was enough that got them kicked out of. One sin caused all the fall of creation. One, one. We we take it so we take it so lightly, but that's not fair, God, because you know, you don't realize you're facing an infinite, eternal, just holy righteous God and when you sin that is cosmic treason now the angels who fell didn't have a possibility of coming to faith praise the Lord we have Jesus amen you're a fool if you say no to Jesus I'm going to say it you're a fool if you say no to Jesus or if you turn your back on Jesus, you know, I see these YouTube videos, these guys who are so proud of themselves. They've, they've fallen away and they're so proud. They're, they're, uh, they've deconstructed. No, they've apostatized. They they, they've uh, burst, you know, I don't believe in Jesus more. I believe in all the You are a fool because you know why? Now you're staying before Holy God dressed in your unrighteous rags of unholiness of sin before Holy God and you have no help to get you to God. People are so proud. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. I've fallen away. Really? You're an idiot. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I just, you know, I'm just gonna speak truth. I'm. I want to be. Listen. I grieve for those kind of people. I don't want those people to go to hell. Like Spurgeon says. Hey, if if I'm paraphrasing the quote, we gotta just. We gotta like. If there's the pit and you see, see people going, we ought to be like tackling them. Please, don't go, sir. Don't go. That's how bad it is. Even Satan doesn't want to go there. Even his, his fallen angels, his demons, don't want to go there. That's how bad it is. But we, in our independence, we will do it and we will be our own gods. That's Genesis 3. Right? God's way or my way? Well, you say my way, and then you go to a funeral and say, I did it my way. And guess what? You are dying and burning in hell if you do it your way. Well. By the way, don't ever pick that song at a funeral if you're a believer in Jesus. Because you didn't do it your way. You didn't want to do it your way. Praise God. <laughs> there, there was another way. Amen? No, no disrespect to... Uh, no, it was uh, Frank Sinatra. Frank and... Uh, and then what's the other Sinatra? Nancy. Nancy. Okay. Okay. But at Sinai, God is distant. He's not approachable. He's clearly seen, but access is restricted. We're still on Sinai. I still have Zion to get to, okay? I'm going to get to it. At Sinai, our good works can't even get us past the edge of the mountain. I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm going to try harder. The gospel is this the gospel is is, there's no trying. The gospel is I've tried, and it still fails. I have tried. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming to try and do for you and to live his life through you. It's good news for a reason, amen? At Sinai, every part is impacted. God's holiness uh, pierces the depths of our soul. And here, here's what dominates Sinai, fear and judgment. Sinai is the mountain of our performance, the mountain of our good works, the mountain of our self-reliance. All that the Lord says we will do, but Paul says all have sinned and fall short in the glory of God. At Sinai you stand before a holy and righteous God where God's holiness and His demands and His righteousness reveals your need, but it does not provide a means. You see nothing in the text where there's a means of Him and now Moses, we understand there's this barrier here, but now what's really the way up? Nothing. Paul says if the law was able to to give life, then we would have been able to follow law and have a life, right? The, the law's purpose was to really be a mirror and say, you know how it is, you know when you're in bad lighting and you, but ladies, you know you, the the makeup mirror stuff, right? And you use that, and the pores like I didn't realize you shine the light of God's holiness in your sin. You realize I am exposed. And I'm in trouble. That's what Sinai does. Our good works aren't good enough and we come face to face with our own sinfulness and our separation from God. And we're justly condemned before this holy and righteous God. And Sinai, get this, is outside the promised land. There's no rest at Sinai. There's no relief from your work at Sinai. And there's no peace at Sinai. In other words, You can try harder and harder to work your way to God and not achieve it and never be at peace and never be at rest and never be holy never atone for your sin and you'll still be distant from God. But Sinai is a place on the journey to the promised land. Amen? Sinai is not the final destination sinai is a place where you realize that your obedience to law is not enough sinai is a place where you realize that you are before a holy god with filthy rags of unrighteousness you have to go to sinai first before you go to zion you have to recognize your need of a savior before you say yes to a savior what's happening today a lot of times people like i say what are you saying yes to Okay, if you're in an airplane, and engine, pray, I pray that we never have engine problems in an air, airplane, but if you're in an airplane and they happen to, I'm so grateful that they only give you the, the instructions with the, the, the belt buckle and the, the, the life preserver stuff, you know, even though you're flying over land, but they never pull out a parachute. Because <laughs> you know how it is. When you fly, none of you pay attention. I do, I read, I read you know. but most of us, we kind of turn it all out. But if they pull out a parachute, They introduce a parachute. Guess who's paying attention? Every single one of us. Amen? The plane's going down over here. And Jesus, in one sense, is your parachute. And if I say the plane might have trouble, we got parachutes, you're going to perk up and say, how do I do this? Where's the string? What do I do? And you're going to be serious about it. Why? Because you value your life, don't you? Sinai is a place where we realize, it's a place of bondage and slavery, a place where we realize God's holiness, God's majesty, God's power, his righteousness, it's a place where both God's holiness and our sinfulness are revealed. Boy, are you guys still with me? Yes, sir. All right, now let's go to Zion. Zion. Unless you want to wait till the next week, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to leave you hanging, right? <laughs> you have not come, verse 18, to Sinai. But you have come, believer. Sinai is no longer your reality. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've passed by Sinai. You've already confronted this, right? You say, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Help me, I'm a sinner. I realize my own sin. Help me, save me. And God says, I got a way. Now let's go to the promised land. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. Now what's Mount Zion? Now technically, physically, Mount Zion was, it's in Jerusalem. It's the highest peak in Jerusalem, right? And David, it was ruled by somebody called the Jebusites. And David took it. Okay. And so they made it the city of David and Mount Zion. And then then he brought in the ark, or Solomon brought the ark and built a temple there. And so eventually it became all of Jerusalem, basically. So, but what's significant about Zion, it's the place where God dwells, it's his home. Now, we're talking, this is physically, but spiritually. Now, Mount Zion, he's talking about here in Hebrews 12, is the spiritual Mount Zion. Now, one day, God will come down to earth on the New Jerusalem and make his home here. But it speaks of God's dwelling place. It's a place as Zion, uh, Psalm 9, 11 says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion and declare among his people his deeds. Psalm 132, 13 to 14 says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. It's a place we're of praise, a place where God dwells. It's a place where the Messiah will rule. Uh, uh, Isaiah 2 talks about uh, that, and, uh, and Revelation talks about the, 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 the mountain of the Lord. It says, will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. I can't wait to do that. Amen. That he may teach us concerning his ways that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from zion and the word of the lord from jerusalem it's the place that the writer of hebrews talks about those who in chapter 11 were looking for a better country abraham and the rest of they were their their physical promised land yes is important but they were their sights were on heaven god's home in heaven that's their sights it's a place where we find rest, according to Hebrews 4. The place where there's a promised eternal inheritance, Hebrews 9. It's a place of a better resurrection, Hebrews 11.35. And it's a place that, of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Amen. And eventually, it will be God's new Jerusalem on earth, according to Revelation 21. He says, I see this, the new city, the city of Jerusalem, coming down. It's, it's shaped like a cube, kind of like the Holy of Holies, right? The presence of God comes and lives, and it's, it's huge, right? We'll, we won't get into that. But it's a civ- city of the living God. It's a place where God now is accessible. Look at this. You have come to Mount Zion, which is God's dwelling. Now you're there, and you're in his city, right? Which means there are people there. There's activity there, right? Of the living God. No more, there's di- no more distance of Sinai. Now there's, I'm in your house, Lord I'm in your city, amen? Here, God is accessible. Here, there is warmth and acceptance and relationship. This is a place of God's dwelling. It's a place of God's victory. There's no, there's no failure in heaven, amen? It's a heavenly city, which means it's not conditioned to the things of this earth. Revelation three twelve says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go from out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. This is Jesus talking, by the way. The new Jerusalem, which comes down out of the heaven from God and my new name. This is a place of joy. Look what it says here. Verse 22. They come to the heavenly Jerusalem and um, to myriads of angels... Who are in, their, in a festival gathering. What is that? They're celebrating. Here's the picture. Here's the scene. You come, to Mount, you come to Mount Zion, heaven, and you're greeted with songs and celebration and excitement. The same word that's used here for festival gathering. Now, now some translations translate it differently, but the idea is it's like throwing a big, huge party, and they're excited, and there's joy. And they can, in fact, Jesus even says in, in Luke, um, Luke 15, that there's jo- more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Right? That means when somebody comes to Christ, the angels, streamers, celebrate, praise the Lord. Right? That's the feel and the sense in heaven, not of despair and gloom and sadness which is necessary to be broken of our own sin. But now if you're a Christian, now if you're a Christian, now there's celebration. There's rejoicing, amen? There's access to God. These myriads of angels, the, I think the Greek word, the myri- word for myriad means thousands or 10,000, that's the highest word they could have. So the myriads and myriads and myriads of angels that are in heaven, right? We are surrounded by so many angels. These are ministering spirits. And perhaps many of them have been in our life, ministering to us, unknown to us. Maybe we'll meet some of them. Hey, they see, they, they've pushed us one way when we want to go another way. Or they've encouraged us. or the, do some, God's ministered to us throughout our lives. And now we come and meet them. And now it's like, wow. And they're happy to see us. And they know us. They've been following us and watching our lives the entire, all of our lives and praising God for what God has done in love, Zion is a place of rejoicing, of celebration, of excitement, of singing and dancing. That's why sometimes I wish that we would get a little bit down here on earth. Amen? Okay, I was raised Catholic. I'm going long, I'm sorry, but I'm going long. But the Lord wants me to share I was raised Catholic, and I got my first communion. That's, that's a, thing, a Catholic, right? When I was old, I was like in fifth grade. I still remember, Dad. I still remember. I wish my mom were here. Maybe she's watching. I still remember. These little kids are near me. I'm the oldest one, right? And I'm real somber. Real serious, right? I tend to be serious, right? I'm real somber. because I think it's a special thing. It's, very, it's a very special thing. So I don't want to diminish the holiness of the moment. But it's as if I've lived my life in constant somberness. Right? Tell you what, between you and me, we have permission from God to be joyful and celebrate. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. And 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 I'm introvert and I'm quiet. I'm I'm reflective. Sometimes I wish I get a little giddy up in my (laughs) dancing shoes, right? Right? I mean the world does it for teams that mean nothing to us, but we got us if you're a Christian, we have true reason to celebrate, amen? Right. True reason to rejoice. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. rejoice toward the towards the top. I want to be joyful. I want to celebrate. What are you so happy about? I'm at Mount Zion. That's why I'm so happy about. Amen? Right. Let us not be so gloomy about like we're at Mount Sinai unless you are really there you don't know God, then yeah, you have good reason to be somber. But if you're a believer, let's not be ashamed of it. Amen? This is a place where we are known. Look what it says here. To the General Assembly, that's the festival gathering, the celebration word, uh, verse 23, and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That means our names are written in heaven. We are... And the citizen registry of heaven. Think about that. You get those guys who come to your door. I don't know if they, they send anything in the mail for census, you know, and who lives here a lot. We already know who lives here, right? right. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. That the disciples were so glad that they were able to cast out demons. And they were like, Yeah, Jesus, don't celebrate in that. But rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. This is a book called the book of life. If your name is not written in the book of life, you're throwing into the lake of fire. But if your name is in the book of life, you're a citizen of heaven. Amen? Hi, I'm John. I live on Phoenix. My citizenship is in heaven. Amen? My passport doesn't show it. But I got registry up there in heaven. I am known up there. This is a place of belonging. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a place of privilege. We have the rights and status of the firstborn. Christ, church of the firstborn. That means they had, the firstborn had the, they got the dibs on most of dad's stuff. They had a higher privilege. They had a, all of us are now privileged in heaven. Because of Christ. See, Christ gave to us what he had. Amen? I'll think about that for a little bit, right? I'm giving you guys a lot of stuff. We have the rights of the firstborn. We are heirs with Christ, Paul says. Heirs with Christ. It says that he's the judge of all. Look at, look at verse 23. We're almost there. To verse 24 is the next verse. And then we're done. Praise the Lord. You can have lunch and coffee. <laughs> Can you imagine if the sermons were so long they had intermission? That was a joke. But here it says, and God, the judge of all. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're being judged, right? God is the judge, and he's the righteous judge, but because of Christ, he judged your sins on the cross. Think about that. Your sins have already been judged on the cross, He's still holy. He's still even our God is a consuming fire, verse 29. But is the same? This is the place where God makes right all the wrongs you've experienced. Christ has paid for your sins, but now in heaven God has made everything right. This is a place where God vindicates his people. Some of us have been mistreated, and we wonder what's going to happen to that guy who mistreated me, who took advantage of me. You have confidence in heaven that if something bad like that's happened to you, God's going to vindicate that. You don't have to worry about holding on to getting the guy back. God will take care of it. Nothing escapes His notice. Amen. Amen. But the Lord abides forever. He, is, he will establish his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord is also a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in time of trouble. And those who know your name will put your, their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Revelation 6 says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they, these saints who had, been cried, uh, who had been dead, who had been martyred, they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And the answer is, I'm going to take care of things, God says. This is a place where God makes all things right, where he vindicates. It's a place where believers will lack nothing in our relationship with God. And see it says right here, verse 23, And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That means when you're in heaven, there's no improvement to your relationship. It's taken care of. Now, you'll grow in relationship of knowing, getting to know God personally, because he's eternal, right? He's infinite. Then we come to Jesus. Now, you see the progression here? Am I, am I still, have, you, have I lost you guys? Are you still with me? We're almost done. Can I show you something? I know I'm long. Oh. We come to Jesus. Watch this. See the progression. Again, we come to Mount Zion. We enter the city. There's angels everywhere. They're celebrating, Right? you get this lively sense of, of life and joy and exuberance as opposed to the somberness of Sinai. We realize we're now welcome. We're known in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Everything that has been done, God has taken care of, right? And we walk in and we proceed And There's Jesus, the mediator of our covenant. They had Moses who still stood at a distance from God in fear and trouble. We have Jesus, the Lamb of God, who now is brought and says, Now, let me take you to my Father's presence. Let me take you. Let me, I stand before God for you. Amen? Jesus mediates the covenant of life to us. That's why it says he is the mediator of a new covenant. But then look what it says here. Look how it ends. We are we approach Jesus. We go to Jesus, the mediator of new covenant, and to what? The sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, why does that end like that? The blood of Abel, the first man who was killed. He's killed by Cain, his brother. And God says, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know, my my brother's keeper. Yes, you are. What's happened? His blood is crying out from the ground. What's it saying? Justice. Do something about this, God. Right. Right. It speaks the demands of the law in a sense. Make this right. Make this right. But the blood of the land speaks something better, doesn't it? It speaks forgiveness. The sin has been committed. The blood says, forgiveness, cleansing. Amen? Christ's blood enables us to come close to God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.20 says, and through him to reconcile all things to him, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on heaven or things in earth, or things in earth on earth or things in heaven. Zion is a place of God's grace. Sinai was a place of God's law. Sinai was a place of God's holiness, and righteousness were demanded. Righteousness demanded here, righteousness met here and through Christ. This is a place of Depression or sadness because of sin. This is a place of joy because of the cleansing of sin. Amen? Amen. Zion is a place of right standing with God. A place of comfort. Of forgiveness. Of rest. Of relief. It says a place of comfort. He will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. Praise the Lord. Amen? Oh boy. Where are you at? Are you at Sinai? Sinai? Or are you at Zion? Do you notice, watch this. You guys still with me? Yeah. I know I'm going long. Maybe next week I'll go shorter, okay? We'll make it up. <laughs> we don't have to do the chairs, so I, guess what? I know I'm going long. Some of my, my friends go an hour and a half sermon, so I'm, I'm pushing towards that. And I know the chair's are uncomfortable. I apologize. What can I do, right? Look at verse, look, go back with me real fast. Look at verse 19. Watch the progression at Zion or at Sinai. Lots of progression. Right? Watch this. Watch this. You've come to a mountain that can be touched. There's blazing fire, there's darkness, there's gloom, there's whirlwind, there's the sound of a trumpet. God's presence is here. And, this, and then what does it end with? The sound of words, right? Who's speaking? God. And the scene is in the context he's going to give the words of but it's, it's God speaking. There's the heaviness of His law, right? Where is, Go to Zion, go to, the next, go, go to the next mountain. We've come to Mount Zion, verse, verse 22, the city, angels, gathering, firstborn, enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect then to Jesus and it ends with coming to what the blood the weight of what God demands through his word is met by the blood of the lamb this is righteousness demanded and this is righteousness met that's why we celebrate amen I want to ask you, where are you at? When you come to God in prayer, do you come to him as if you're being welcomed, like in heaven? Or do you come as if you can only go so close? If you come on your own works, your own feeling, this is what I have to do to get close to God, you'll be distant. But if you come because of what Christ has done, there's Welcome. There's my child. There's John. There's Gary. There's Harriet. There's Pedro. That's my child. right? He's welcome here. You get that sense? Let's come to God in faith and not in doubt. Let's come to God in joy and not sadness. Let's come to God in confidence and not fear and trembling. Let's approach God as if we were in Zion right now. Now, I'm going to pray, because I'm going to ask somebody, maybe here on the, online, maybe somebody's at Z- at Sinai, and they just realized it, and they want to come to Zion. Let's pray. Father, I do pray, if there's anyone who's watching online, or maybe somebody in this room. I, we know everyone here, pretty much, Lord. And But being a church attender doesn't really mean anything, other than you come to church, which is wonderful. But, Lord, I pray... God, I just pray that if there's somebody that knows that they're standing before you and they're not clothed in righteousness, but they're clothed in filthy, dirty rags, that they would hear the voice of Jesus that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray that whoever's hearing the sound of my voice, God, that you would bring people, many people, to salvation, and maybe even this own room. Maybe, Lord, there's somebody here that they've heard it all. They've heard the gospel many times. Maybe they never received it, Lord. I pray, Lord, grant faith. Lord, may this person and these people place faith in you. And those of us who are at Mount Zion, let us walk with joy, understanding that we are citizens of heaven, because of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us stand. thank you, guys, for being so gracious. With I know it's a long sermon. I hope it didn't feel long, but I had to say it. I had to share share what the Lord gave to me to say. Amen. Remember, keep the chairs situated. You guys have more time to fellowship? Um, Thank you. Uh, Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Let's thank the Lord. Lord, thank you again. We rejoice in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your gospel is good news. Now, Lord, I pray uh, your blessing on people here, Lord. Lord, I pray that He would encourage faith, Lord. Encourage us, Lord, in our walk with Christ. And that in Him we have the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the joy of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.